Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today are Kristen Powell and Allison Halgen, the co-founders of Kinship. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Priya. So great to be here with you. Hi, Allison. How are you? Hi, Priya. I'm great. Excited to talk today. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. I mean, I feel like you all are the Gen Z soothsayers before, you know, Gen Z became a really big buzzword in beauty. Um, But before I get started, I'd love to talk to you guys a little bit about how you guys found your place in beauty. Both of you have had long careers, worked at iconic brands. Um, Allison, why don't you start? Sure, absolutely. So Kristen and I were actually set up on a blind date. We were introduced through a mutual friend. We both had, as you mentioned, deep, deep backgrounds in beauty and this mutual friend was like, the two of you should meet. You both live in the Bay Area, uh, in Northern California, and why don't you two meet? And Kristen and I kind of thought, well, gosh, we know so many in the people in the beauty industry. Do we really need to meet? And um, what started as a 30-minute coffee date turned into a three-hour meeting where Kristen and I just had this instant kind of connection. We had... Um, bonded over the shared values we had and shared, um, as well as this personal pain point that we had with respect to really trying to find clean uh, performance skincare for our teen children. And between the two of us, Kristen and I have five Gen Zers, um, both genders. And so we really just, we realized that um, we, we were onto something. What about you, Kristen? Tell me a little bit about your backstory. Yeah. So after, gosh, having a, a lot of bad skin in my teens, I I dip, fell into just the passion of how to take care of my skin and the science of skin and ingredients and formulations. And I was just passionate about holistic living and growing up in California, I'd always been healthy. And so I found myself making my own products uh, literally in my kitchen. And that brand eventually Juice Beauty um, was the first clean skincare brand at Sephora. So it really was a passion and it was an expression of my lifestyle. Um, after Juice Beauty, I went to Paracone MD where I got deeply steeped in the science of clinical formulations and learning from one of the masters of skin. And then I did another startup Um I happen to love startups. I think it's in my blood with Stella and Dot. I started a brand called Ever that's clinically formulated botanical line that really kind of meets the intersection of clean and clinical. So I had been through the startup world and just loved what I did. And when I met Allison, it was sort of like, what's next? Um, what's next for me having you know 20 years in the beauty industry? And we met, it was like an instant connection. And we had all these conversations about the industry and what we'd done and what we loved about it, the opportunities we saw. And we literally connected over this personal pain point, which was, what are we going to use on our our teen daughters and sons? We both have daughters and sons and our sons needed skincare too. And this whole notion of beauty was sort of, you know, kind of fading away. It wasn't so much about beauty for us. It was about taking care of our kids' skin. And that's where we really kind of sparks started flying. We thought, why isn't anyone doing this? Why, why isn't there a brand that's clean, that's 
really effective that speaks to the values of sustainability and transparency and inclusivity and um, the fun packaging. And so that's kind of what what bonded us and what still, um, you know, inspires us today. Tell me a little bit about startup life. You know, obviously you've had a background in startups and you've worked also in big beauty, obviously at Paracone, but Allison, you were primarily a benefit for a number of years. So how did you guys decide that like this was the time again for for you and for you to um, try something totally independent, organic for a demographic that necessarily hadn't really been spoken to yet? Sure. So this this idea came about really over that that initial meeting that Kristen and I had. It was the farthest thing from our minds that we were going to leave that day thinking we're starting a company together. But we were so compelled through our conversation about really wanting to really create this brand for the future, for the next generation, that I think we walked away thinking, how can we not do this? If we don't do it, who will? And for me, having spent, yes, 16 years at Benefit Cosmetics, where I ran marketing, I think for me, that was really the, if you will, um, it was preparing me for this moment because I was fortunate enough to get to work directly with the founders of benefit for many, many years. And what I didn't realize at the time was that entrepreneurial spirit was kind of contagious and um, it was really setting me up for this next step in my beauty journey. And what's amazing for me is having a partner like Kristen who has who has launched brands before who who does have running through her veins that entrepreneurial spirit so so I think we were both really ready it was just about finding um that 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 shared connection and passion and for us it being rooted in in our the generation we were raising and in such a, such a personal need that we both had, it really kind of made it easy and made it fall into place. And all of a sudden I was doing things I'd never done before, like raising money (laughs) and um, (laughs) pitching investors. And, but we were so passionate about it that it was like, how can, how can we not do this? There's nothing else I'd rather be doing than taking these huge leaps of faith and doing the impossible, building something from the ground up. Tell me a little bit about Gen Z, because obviously, like you said, uh, Kristen, you have five Gen Zers, you have your focus group literally in your house. So when you were thinking about what to launch for them, you know, I think a lot of founders go through this um, aha moment or come to Jesus around when they're pregnant and they have a baby and what are they going to use on their baby? But that conversation has kind of come and gone a little bit. But teens, you know, the same stuff has been on the market like Neutrogena or Clean and Clear, there's it's still on the market now. And it was, I think, when all of us were teens. So what were you thinking about Gen Z at the time? Yeah, well, and by the way, a lot of people told us not to do Gen Z. They, it was, they thought it was crazy because, oh, Gen Z is fickle and they don't, they don't know what they want. It's very transient. We had a lot of naysayers, but we felt so strongly that this generation is really an activist generation. And we wanted to embrace that energy that they have to change the world. We wanted to change the world because those were our values as well. And so one of the most fun things about starting Kinship was 
literally creating a group of Gen Zers around the country that would engage with us on everything. We call it the kin circle. And it's everything from testing products before we finalize them to looking at packaging design, to checking out our logos, to what do you want to see in your sunscreen? There were all these uh, interactions we had with teens, boys and girls from 18 to 30 that were literally developing the brand with us. And that was the most fun and insightful time of our journey, I think, because we literally lived with them, breathed with them, (laughs) slept with, you know, this energy of Gen Z. And they really do want something different from brands today. They really want that authenticity, that truthfulness, the transparency around ingredients. They want, they almost expect a sort of activism because um, I think that they've had a lot of brands who have sort of not been truthful and not been transparent. And, and it's the age of, I think, just coming clean, literally, with what you're doing, not only the formulas, but the packaging and what you're saying about how the products work. And for us, it was about not telling people what's wrong with them. It's really lifting them up and inspiring, you know, taking that optimism and really sharing it with them. Tell me about the um, the kin circle because you know obviously we're now in this moment where Gen Zers like Addison Ray or Hiram are launching their own brands and I know you have worked with Hiram in the past um, but you know here you are obviously beauty experts but like talking to them engaging with them like what did they want what were they naysaying if you will when you first kind of started talking to them because you are focused on skincare you are focused on age specific skincare. Um, And you're not trying to be everything to everyone. Yeah, I think from a skincare perspective, it was about um, sensitivity. They felt like a lot of products broke them out. And so sunscreen was the first thing we tackled because we knew that there was a lot of opportunity to, to develop a sunscreen that teens loved and that everyone loved too. It wasn't just about teens. It was about kind of solving all those issues around sunscreen. So they wanted something that didn't break them out. They wanted something with neutral fragrances. Um, They wanted something that not necessarily was a regimen, but that was multitasking, that did five things in one. Um, They wanted diversity in in ads and seeing more diversity in models um, and less of the tried and true blonde and blue eyed person on the, on the, on the screen or in Instagram. Those are some of the things we learned from the kin circle that were super insightful. And then also, I think a pivotal moment for kinship was actually our first investor. So a lot of people don't realize, but when Kristen and I were just starting to build this concept for kinship, we thought, because as Kristen mentioned, we did have all those naysayers. All those people were like, you can't do it, or you're too old. We got a lot of that too. You're too old. What do you know about Gen Z? You're not Gen Z. How can you create authentically a brand for this generation? And we were like, well, we're going to do it with them, not for them. And one of the first things we did is we took to lunch a uh, Gen Zer who was consulting with big firms um, and really dubbed kind of the Gen Z whisperer. Her name was Tiffany Zong. We took her to lunch and we thought maybe she would give us a little bit of advice. And we told her what we were doing, what we were building. And about 15 minutes into that lunch date, she said, I'm going to be your first investor. And we literally thought, what? You're 18. Like you're, you're a consultant. Like, oh my gosh, really? You invest? And she said, yes, I have a small 
little fund on the side and I am investing in brands that I believe are going to change the future for my generation. And I want to be your first investor. I believe in kinship. I believe in what you're doing. And literally Kristen and I's like jaws dropped and we were like, oh my gosh, this is real. We are, we are doing this. We are actually taking money from an 18 year old and we're opening up an account and like, this is happening. And that was such a turning point for us because it was kind of flipping things on its head. You talk about sometimes the older generation investing in the young generation, but this was literally the young generation (laughs) investing in us and believing in us and believing in our vision for the future. What kind of validity did that give you? Because, you know, it wasn't your own kids. It wasn't your kids' friends, but it was this person who had been around the block, both in investing and in consulting that said, hey, this makes sense to me. This is, this feels right. It was huge. Um, it was, it gave us the confidence that I think, and the the confidence and the reassurance that we were on the right path, that we were doing something that didn't exist and that we, we needed to continue on this path. You all started the brand, obviously, in the fall of 2019 pre-pandemic, which seems like, you know, years ago at this point, decades ago at this point. So how did you kind of navigate being D2C only during that time period? Obviously now you're in Ulta and you're in Credo, but what was those few first few months of the pandemic like? It was scary. I think for everyone, no one sets out to launch a company right before, right before the pandemic. And we had this small, tiny team in our small, tiny office, and we'd been together for all of like six months. And then all of a sudden we were trying to scramble and figure out what to do and what this was going to mean in the short and long term, and trying to keep things going and stay positive and also make smart business decisions. It was incredibly challenging. And I think it, it tested every single person on our team and certainly in the world in terms of really thinking about what really matters and what each of our most important kind of values are, right? It really made people rethink what they were doing and how they wanted to spend their time and what were the things that were most important and cherished to them. Were you already thinking about retail prior to this? Like, was that, were those Credo and Ulta deals that kind of already sat or, or was it just even more justification that, hey, we're in a pandemic, we need this extra leg to help, help the business grow? That's a great question. I think this is where Kristen and I's background really comes into play. We always from day one believed in a really strong omni-channel business. Kristen and I had seen that be really successful and and key to to growth. So even though we were born digital and we were digitally native, like the consumer we were serving that Gen Zer, we always planned to have this omnichannel distribution. So it was just timing with respect to us happening to launch into Credo and then Ulta during the pandemic, but those conversations had already started pre-pandemic. And then the question was, are we going to go through with it? Who opens in retail in the middle of a pandemic when stores are closed? Should we be doing this? (laughs) Is this the right idea? (laughs) Is this weird? We're having all these conversations about how we're about to open and yet the stores are all closed. What are we doing? So it was a true test. It was a true partnership. We, We have an incredible partnership with Credo, um, one that that existed pre 
pre-kinship because Kristen and I both know Annie Jackson, the co-founder, um, from we've known her over the years. And so we that was always part of kinship's plan. And then we were also already in talks with Ulta pre-pandemic. And for us, I think the key with Ulta was they have such leadership with Gen Z. That is really where the Gen Z customer is. And the other massive piece for us with Ulta was their real emphasis and investment um, with respect to the conscious beauty pillar of their business. And it really, really aligned with our strategic values and what kinship stands for. So it was kind of a no-brainer, yet we were holding hands because we were doing it in the middle of a pandemic. And we you know, it was going to be a, a wonderful experiment to figure out when stores did reopen, how, how that, how that would go and how it would work. And if people would really come back in and shop. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. So how has it been? Because obviously we're seeing, you know, people go back to stores, people are, you know, there's so many different options from like curbside to buy online, pick up in store, you know, even same day delivery now at Ulta. And of course, online. So how have you seen like your customer behavior change when they were so used to you getting you just online and now they have so many different options to interact with you? Yeah, we have a, we spend a lot of time talking to our customers and just learning about who they are as people. That's the great thing about being a digital first brand is we can actually reach out to our customers. And I think one of the things that became really obvious about are one of the risks we took in the beginning with creating kinship was to make our price point really accessible. And I think it's one of the reasons why Credo and Ulta saw kinship as, as a filling a white space is that you have a lot of clean brands out there that are saying they're clean clinical and they're, they're wonderful brands, but they're not accessible to most Gen Zers today. And so it was really important to us to figure out how to create this collection and have everything be you know, under $25. Um, and I think it became more and more apparent as we were launching an Ulta during the pandemic that that price point was really important, that people could stock up on two of our sunscreens at a time and feel like, okay, I can actually afford this brand. And so it's just a really interesting learning experience, I think, for all of us retailers and brands specifically on how do we really make this accessible in many different ways, not just from a a formulation perspective or being multi-products, but, and being non-gender, but really from a affordability perspective. Yeah. That seems very much to be the case with Gen Z. Not only do they want mission-driven, value-driven brands, care about sustainability, don't want crap in their products, but they want it to be affordable. um, And they don't want to pay that premium necessarily for a name. You know, when you're talking to your kin circle and other customers, who are they? How would you describe them? Like, are they from metro areas? Are they from Grand Rapids, Michigan? Like, what's what's going on? Yeah, they're from all over the place. Um, it's not specifically urban or suburban or city dwellers. We find that we have a very wide audience. It's not just Gen Zers, which is interesting. We set out really targeting Gen Z, but kinship really has an appeal that's wider beyond Gen Z because I think a lot of people are looking for a brand that's that's clean, that's effective, that stands for environmental values, but that's accessible. And so our our 
I think the one common thread between the conversations we've had with our kin circle and with our customers that they really care about our attention to the environment and our ethical choices from the packaging being ocean waste plastic to credo clean and EU formulated to how we choose our fragrances and how we don't use synthetic fragrances. We go above and beyond the credo standards and the EU standards to choose ingredients that are really good for the skin and, and balance the skin barrier. So they weren't asking for that, but it just happens to be something that today's skincare consumer is really looking for. Do you feel that a lot of those consumers are interacting now that they have that ability to kind of understand the details of the product themselves? They are interacting with that kind of education and, and information. Absolutely. I mean, Allison, you can speak to that. It's it's all on TikTok, right? They're all searching for ingredients and stories and how to use skincare, how to cocktail skincare. And so much of this is happening digitally. Um, and they're interacting with each other and learning from each other versus getting advice from derms, which was previous generation's tendency. Tell me a little bit about TikTok, because obviously you guys have done a lot of really exciting things besides the partnerships that we've mentioned. You know, you're you're being very playful on the platform. So how, what was your approach and what is it now, now that everybody is on TikTok? <laughs> So for Kinship, we really think about social as an opportunity for connection, for both us to connect with our community and build that relationship, as well as it being a place for self-expression. And what we love is we love really having conversations and connection through those platforms. And one of the things that has been really telling for us is just this idea of social justice and how it's woven into some of uh, the conversations and dialogues that are happening um, on social media. And I think that we continue to really root kinships, interactions in our values and really focus on expressing who we are and encouraging our audience to do the same and really playing and it's so fun and exciting to be in this place as an indie brand and be able to just play and to be able to try things and be able to not be afraid to fail, <laughs> to actually just be open and to listen. Kristen and I, as you were talking about you know, our customer, who, who they are. One of the things that we've loved is actually getting to jump on TikTok, jump on Instagram, um, jump online with our online chat, actually have direct communication with our customers. And it's been incredibly rewarding, whether we're hopping on a phone call to just talk to them and learn about what, what they love, what, what they what they don't like, what's what's working, how they heard about us, um, get to know them, to really um, sending a DM to one of our community members on TikTok or Instagram who is asking and begging us to create an eye cream and letting them know, hey, it's coming. We created it and we want to send it to you to be the first to try it. And we hope this really solves um every, all of your, you know, eye cream dreams that you wrote to us about, you know, last year. So it's, it's, it's just a wonderful place for us to connect. 
how have you felt about other platforms? Because I feel like so much of this, TikTok obviously is now the norm, but in 2019, when you launched, maybe it wasn't, you know, and everybody is kind of like using paid promotions now and, and kind of looking at different ways to monetize it. But there's more platforms around the corner every day. You know, now we're talking about NFTs. Now we're talking about gaming. Now we're talking about, you know, audio opportunities. So where do you decide to invest and put your time and effort in when Gen Z is kind of figuring it out themselves? We're all figuring it out together. This is, I think, really where the strength of our kin circle comes into play because that's where we're actually able to have these conversations and talk to them and think about where they spend their time and think about how kinship can really show up organically in those places where they are. I think that goes to whether we're talking about our distribution strategy, whether we're talking about our marketing strategy, whether we're talking about really our earned and owned channels. It's really about thinking from their point of view and us talking to them and 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 listening and and connecting with that kin circle. That has been from day one, the thing that has gotten us to where we are. Uh, Kristen and I always believed that it wasn't just going to be the two of us doing it, that we were always going to do it with our community, with the community that we were serving. And so I think for us, that is our real, real um, magical kind of recipe that has really helped propel us to this point is just really creating it with them. And so with respect to NFTs and TikTok and the next social platform, I think for us, we're having a lot of conversations with them about where they want to see kinship showing up and talking about things complicated like sustainability and, you know, being carbon neutral while participating in NFTs. And is that a conflict and how can we do it in a way that's true to our values? And what would that look like for kinship and how would they want us to show up there and how can we continue to play and be fun, but yet really, really be true to who we are as a brand? I'm glad you said that because I think this is so interesting. You know, everybody all of a sudden is talking about climate change and, you know, different initiatives regarding the planet and sustainability and food waste. And, you know, but then they're also doing, on the other hand, NFTs. And I don't believe, at least right now, that NFTs are environmentally sustainable. So how do you kind of juggle those um, various business priorities, various conflicting? I mean, it's kind of like the same thing with clean beauty, right? Like at the very beginning, like people said, clean didn't, I wanted to be a clean brand, but it didn't work. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I mean, from my perspective, I think this is where a brand just needs to decide what's, what, what is meaningful and truthful for them and authentically ex- express it. Um, and so for us, we felt like becoming climate neutral was very important to us as a brand and um, looking at what our carbon emissions were as a brand with respect to manufacturing and packaging. And all of that was very important for us at the same time. I think we need to go above and beyond that and take political action. I think it it's beyond just measuring our footprint and buying carbon offsets. I think it's getting involved politically because that's where we're going to see, I think some more massive change. So that's just from a from a brand perspective. I think we just needed to decide what's meaningful to us, what's what's achievable for us, and then let's bring our audience with us on that journey. 
Christian, what do you think about all these different marketing levers? You know, obviously, you know, there's so many to play with and so many people are kind of moving away from Facebook and Instagram just because they're not seeing the returns. But as CEO, you know, you have to think about, is this really worth it? Is this, is playing here, driving the business, giving us brand awareness? Like there's so many different things to think about now. Yeah. I mean, I think we, another risk we took as a brand was to decide consciously to be an omni-channel brand that we weren't going to be just strictly digital or strictly retail. And, and, and that served us well. I think being broad in terms of where we're accessible is important because Gen Z is shopping everywhere. They're shopping on Amazon, they're shopping online, they're shopping at Ulta. Um, I think we need to be where our customer is. And I think it's really just calculating those risks and where we want to put our investment and where we find the most return. So much of it is is trying things and seeing if they work. And if, you know, if they not, they don't, we can pull back and try something else. I think in these early stages of starting a brand, so much of it is, is trying things and then, you know, pivoting if you need to. And fortunately we've been, I think, successful. We've decided to grow organically, not have this super hyper growth. We want, we want to make sure that people inside kinship and outside kinship are growing with us sustainably. And so I think being in Credo and Ulta and Line has been a really good strategy strategy for us because they are kind of marketing levers for us. They are where people are shopping and we're finding that engagement. They love, they love engaging with the brand, both in retail online, just different messaging. Tell me a little bit about distribution because are you thinking about, I mean, obviously I have to ask is target next, you know, obviously Ulta and target have a great relationship now. And when you think about price point, it would make perfect sense for you guys. So are you thinking about expanding? I love that question, Priya. (laughs) I love how you ask the good questions. So for us, we really want to focus on the channels that we're in and we want to really make those strong and powerful. We're always open to exploring new potential channels of distribution, but something that Kristen and I know really well is, is this idea of like being careful about growth for the sake of growth and trying to grow so fast and just open everywhere, be everywhere all at once. That doesn't really work in the long term. We want to see really strong, healthy growth and comp growth where we are. And so we're taking more of a measured approach. We're really proud that our business is up 300% year over year, uh, especially after after the last year and a half we've all had. We're really proud of that. Um, It requires a lot of tender, loving care and nurturing every step of the way. And so for us, I think we're really focused on where we are and building that out. Um, while while we're always exploring uh, the possibility of, of new, interesting points of distribution to come in the future. But we're focused right now where we are. But what about international? I have to ask about international because, you know, that seems to be like maybe a step in the direction that, you know, you would want to go whether or not your U.S. distribution stays the same. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. And what has totally surprised Kristen and I is, We have so many requests from international customers who, and it's almost been like since day one, who want kinship. And it's fascinating because it's not just from like a couple regions, it's really global. And I think that speaks to the global appeal of kinship, that um, it's not 
the values that we represent, this idea of clean, high-performance, clinical skincare that's excessively priced is not something that the consumer just here in the U.S. wants. It's something that the consumer everywhere wants. And so for us, we're really thinking thoughtfully about international and how we want to do it. We want to make sure we have a big enough presence here in the U.S., before we take that next step, but we are contemplating it because I think where we see there being a real demand and a need, we obviously want to serve, we want to serve that, that kinship community everywhere. And so we absolutely see kinship as being something that is timeless and a brand that really has the legs to be a powerhouse on a global scale. Talk to me a little bit about product development. So what can we see from you guys, you know, later this year into 2022? Yeah. So funny that you said that we just launched literally a week ago, a version of our best-selling self-reflect product. And we launched it in a rose scent. So the original self-reflect, this is a five-time award-winning Allure Best of Beauty product. We're so proud of it. Um, It's a product that is near and dear to us because we needed sunscreen that was going to work for us. So it had to be multifunctional, had to be moisturizing and solve for all the skin issues and be zinc oxide, clean, reef safe. We did it and that's self-reflect and then just launched a version of it with a uh, really beautiful damask rose scent. Um, And I think we're trying to really disrupt certain categories, certainly sunscreen that it it really today, I think it's table stakes to be multifunctional, um, but also to take new twists on sunscreen like this rose scent. Um, We thought that it's a very optimistic scent. It's very hydrating. Rose is sort of having a comeback where it's not just your your grandmother scent anymore. It's very gender neutral. Um, and, and really just taking the, the efficacy of that product and trying to look at extending it into multiple, multiple different sunscreen versions. We did a value size of it that's been incredibly successful, found that it did not affect the size, the original size sales. Um, and we're trying to really look at categories like eye cream. Who needs another anti-aging eye cream? <laughs> There's just a million of them out there. Okay. <laughs> a lot of them don't work. Our eye cream was really meant to do something different. It's really about energizing um, because we learned from our kin circle that our audience really wanted something that woke them up, that was hydrating, that um, that made them their eyes look really bright and awake. And, and that was the focus of that product. It wasn't so much about fixing your fine lines, but just healthy skin and making your eyes look really healthy and moisturized and, and awake and vibrant. Um, I think future possibilities are in treatments. We love the skincare trend of cocktailing your skincare. We do it a lot at Kinship and we think it's here to stay. And I think treatments and serums and really clinically effective ingredients that are treating specific skin issues like hyperpigmentation, sun damage, pregnancy, mask, um, sensitivity, skin barrier disruption, things that really serve the skin barrier, but you see those really fast results. I think that's where our sort of some of our near-term pipeline looks like. When you think about competition, you know, obviously Gen Z, everyone's talking about Gen Z, everybody's focused on Gen Z, but there are still not that many Gen Z focused brands. Um, I know, like we said before, there are the brands that Gen Zers themselves are coming up with. And then there's a few other brands kind of coming up 
from beauty executives. How do you feel about the larger space? Like, of course, you're competing with everyone, right, in Ulta or in Credo. But at the same time, you know, that Gen Zer may not be picking up Tom Ford or Diptyque, but they may be picking up In Beauty or Addison Ray. So where do you kind of see yourself fitting and how do you kind of juggle that? Yeah, we're really inspired by the new brands that are coming into the market. We love the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial energy. We love that a lot of them are clean. We want to see more of those brands coming into the market. We feel like there's room for, for all of them. There's not one skincare fits all. Um, some people will love one formulation and, and it won't work for the other person. And so we feel like these different points of view are all valuable and all complementary and everyone is very, very different. And there isn't one skincare line. That's one thing we learned for our kin circle also is they're not necessarily buying into an entire skincare brand. They're buying hero products. And we decided consciously that every, every one of our products needed to be a hero um, or else we wouldn't launch it. Um, but we find that different people are attracted to different products for various different reasons. Um, so we, we, we actually embrace all of the in innovation that's coming into the market. Thank you guys so much for being here. It was so wonderful talking to you, Allison and Kristen. Um, I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much, Priya. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.